Welcome to Misty 101 podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode of our podcast. US believes Russia plans nuclear exercise to warn West over Ukraine. US military and intelligence officials believe that Russia is planning to hold a big nuclear weapons exercise this month as a warning to NATO not to intervene if President Vladimir Putin decides to invade Ukraine. General Mark Milley, chair of the Joint Chiefs, and Avril Haines, director of national intelligence, told lawmakers in the House of Representatives on Thursday that Putin was planning to start the exercises in mid-February according to a congressional aide with knowledge of the closed-door briefing. Russia generally holds its annual nuclear exercises, which involve testing intercontinental ballistic missiles from land, sea and air, in the fall. But the US believes Putin has decided to hold them earlier this year as a show of strength in the event that he orders his military to further invade Ukraine. The U.S. believes that the optimum time for a Russian invasion would be from mid-February to the end of March. Holding the exercises to coincide with an invasion would send a powerful reminder to NATO about the strength of Moscow's nuclear forces, which are the largest in the world. Russia has just under 4,500 nuclear warheads in its stockpile, according to the Federation of American Scientists. It would be an incredibly provocative and foreboding message if they did that simultaneously with an invasion of Ukraine said Rebecca Heinrichs, a nuclear weapons policy expert at the Hudson Institute in Washington. The US has not determined if Putin has decided to invade Ukraine. But with its allies, Washington is increasingly alarmed by the continuing military buildup of Russian forces around the border with Ukraine. In the past two weeks, Russia has increased the number of battalion tactical groups, which can range from 750 to 1,000 troops, deployed in the border region from 60 to 83, according to one NATO source. Another 14 BTGs are also in transit to the border area. The U.S. believes Russia has also deployed between 1,200 and 2,100 special operations troops in the region. The new battalion tactical groups and other troops deployed in the area bring the total number of Russian forces in the region to well over 100,000. Washington estimates that Russia has deployed enough forces for a limited attack but has only positioned 70% of the troops that it would need for a full-scale invasion, which would include an assault on Kyiv, the Ukrainian capital. U.S. military experts believe Russia has the capability to deploy enough forces for a full invasion by the middle of February which would coincide with the expected start of its nuclear weapons exercises. Earlier this week, President Joe Biden ordered the deployment of 2,000 U.S. troops to Poland and Germany, in an effort to send a signal to Putin about the strength of the NATO alliance. On Thursday, the U.S. accused Russia of preparing to fabricate an attack by Ukraine or the West, in a false flag operation designed to create a pretext for an invasion. On Tuesday, Putin accused the U.S. of trying to drag Russia into armed conflict and said it was ignoring Russia's security concerns and its demand for a guarantee that NATO would not admit Ukraine in the future.
The Russian leader received support from Chinese President Xi Jinping on Friday when he visited Beijing for the opening of the Winter Olympics. In a joint statement, they said they oppose further enlargement of NATO. A senior U.S. official said China should have used the meeting with Putin to encourage him to de-escalate in Ukraine. If Russia further invades Ukraine and China looks the other way, it suggests that China is willing to tolerate or tacitly support Russia's efforts to coerce Ukraine even when they embarrass Beijing, harm European security, and risk global peace and economic stability he said. Boris Johnson to block diversity rule in MPs' code of conduct Boris Johnson is preparing to reject a bid by the Commons Standards Watchdog to require MPs to promote anti-racism, inclusion and diversity as part of a proposed shake-up of SLEA's rules. A formal government response to proposed changes to the MPs' code of conduct will oppose a bid to add a new respect principle to the seven principles of public life currently enshrined in the rules. A Whitehall source said ministers opposed the move because it could curb freedom of speech. The Standards Committee is chaired by Chris Bryant, who was a minister under Gordon Brown, and the source accused Labour of attempting to slip in politically correct restrictions on what elected representatives can say, amid other, uncontroversial changes to the rules. The move comes after the Lord's Standards Commissioner was criticised over a sinister attempt to silence peers who spoke out in a debate about transgender prisoners. A Whitehall source said, Parliament must remain a place where members can engage in free and open political discussions. The introduction of such additional restrictions could impact free speech on contentious and polarised political issues a step that could serve to preclude Parliament from robustly scrutinising and debating government policy. Opposition from MPs The new clause was reportedly backed unanimously by the Cross-Party Standards Committee, but opposed by 11 MPs who were surveyed anonymously while the report was being drawn up, compared to eight who supported it. The committee report said that the recommendation would help to counter unconscious bias and forward-slash-or-underlying racism. It said the committee hoped this was a given, but that there was no harm spelling it out in the code. The recommendations will be put out to consultation among the public and MPs before final proposals are put to a vote in the Commons, expected to take place at around Easter. There is also a clause forbidding MPs from subjecting others to unreasonable and excessive personal attack, either in the House of Commons, outside it, or on social media. The current Parliamentary Behaviour Code sets the expectation that members treat their staff and all those visiting or working for or with Parliament with dignity, courtesy and respect. It is understood Number 10 believes this formation strikes the right balance between ensuring a positive and safe environment and the need for freedom in policy and political debate. The Committee on Standards in Public Life has published an amended descriptor attached to the leadership principle to reflect the importance of treating others with respect. We must protect free debate. Whilst the government does not consider it necessary to adjust the descriptors specifically in relation to MPs or peers, 
a source said we think it is of overarching importance to emphasize tolerance of different viewpoints and protect free debate when considering any changes. We would not want to stifle legitimate debate on politically contentious issues which are important to our democracy as an indirect consequence of the proposed new requirement for anti-discriminatory attitudes or demonstrating inclusion and diversity. This could have a chilling effect on free speech on contentious and polarized political issues. The source said such provisions risk generating partisan complaints that could degrade the debate on contentious matters of policy. Under the plans, MPs with second jobs will have to sign contracts agreeing not to lobby the government or offer advice about how to influence Parliament. According to the report, it should be a requirement for members taking on outside work to obtain a written contract detailing their duties, in particular making explicit that these duties cannot include lobbying ministers, members or public officials on behalf of that employer and that the employer will give an undertaking not to ask them to do so. A contract should also include an exclusion on providing advice about how to lobby or influence Parliament. Boris Johnson's closest cabinet allies name the number one problem behind the scenes. The Prime Minister is facing increasing talks to resign after he admitted he attended one of the many parties held in Downing Street throughout the coronavirus pandemic when the rest of the country was under strict lockdown rules, set by the government. In a leak, it was revealed his wife, Carrie Johnson, held a surprise birthday party for the Prime Minister with more than 30 guests being invited, another breach of lockdown rules. Now, one of Mr Johnson's closest allies has claimed Carrie is the number one problem in his administration to former deputy chairman of the Conservative Party, Lord Ashcroft. In a recent column in the Mail Online, Lord Ashcroft wrote, Readers of my book can judge for themselves what Carrie's actions say about her relationship with the PM and what they mean for the way Britain has been run under his premiership. One of his closest cabinet allies has told sources quoted in my book that they believe Carrie is the no one problem in Johnson's administration. Many will wonder if it would be better for the country if the minister in question had the courage to tell the PM this to his face. As for Carrie Johnson, if she wants to help decide what the government does and who works in it, maybe she should think about standing for election. Lord Ashcroft also claimed Carrie lost her post at Conservative campaign headquarters, CCHQ, after being accused of fiddling her expenses and taking too much holiday. Last month, Northern Ireland Minister Connor Burns claimed the Prime Minister was ambushed with a cake. The MP for Bournemouth West told Channel 4 News, it was not a premeditated, organised party. He was, in a sense, ambushed with a cake. They came to his office with a cake, they sang happy birthday, he was there for 10 minutes. I don't think most people looking at that at home would characterize that as a party. Prince Harry opened up on argument with Meghan Markle, I was going to lose her. Prince Harry has opened up about his life this week, admitting his workload and commitments often leave him feeling burned out. The Duke of Sussex said he still has hard days but is schooled by the universe.
During a chat with US company BetterUp, he added that he wants to see bosses give employees time to build their mental fitness. Harry continued, some days are great, some days are really hard. I'm always kicking myself, if you'd have done this, which you know works for you, you wouldn't be in this state now. It's work, but of all the work that's pulled towards us, it's the most fulfilling work, apart from being a dad. Harry and Meghan Markle left the royal family life behind in 2020, and now live in California with their two children Archie and Lilibet. The Sussexes have been a strong couple throughout their royal struggles, but Harry revealed one moment where he feared he could lose Meghan. Speaking in May, 2021 Apple TV and docuseries with Oprah Winfrey, The Me You Can't See, he opened up about his mental health struggles. He said, I saw GPS. I saw doctors. I saw therapists. I saw alternative therapists. I saw all sorts of people, but it was meeting and being with Megan. I knew that if I didn't do the therapy and fix myself that I was going to lose this woman who I could see spending the rest of my life with. The Duke, who has been candid about his mental health in the past, spoke about the turning point for himself, saying, there was a lot of learning right at the beginning of our relationship. She, Meghan, was shocked to be coming backstage of the institution of the British royal family. When she said, I think you need to see someone it was in reaction to an argument that we had. And in that argument, not knowing about it, I reverted back to 12-year-old Harry. The moment I started therapy, it was probably within my second session, my therapist turned around to me and said, that sounds like you're reverting to 12-year-old Harry. I felt somewhat ashamed and defensive. Like, how dare you? You're calling me a child. And she goes, no, I'm not calling you a child. I'm expressing sympathy and empathy for you for what happened to you when you were a child. You never processed it. You were never allowed to talk about it and all of a sudden now it's coming up in different ways as projection. That was the start of a learning journey for me. I became aware that I'd been living in a bubble within this family, within this institution and I was sort of almost trapped in a thought process or a mindset. Megan has also spoken about her mental health, including in the Sussexes interview with Oprah Winfrey last March. She explained that she got to a stage where she just didn't want to be alive anymore. Oprah said, you'd said in a podcast that it became almost unsurvivable, and that struck me because it sounds like you were in some kind of mental trouble. What was actually going on? Almost unsurvivable sounds like there was a breaking point. Megan replied, yeah, there was. I just didn't see a solution. I would sit up at night, and I was just like I don't understand how all of this is being churned out and again I wasn't seeing it, but it's almost worse when you feel it through the expression of my mum or my friends or them calling me crying just like Meg, they are not protecting you. And I realized that it was all happening just because I was breathing. And, I was really ashamed to say it at the time, 
and ashamed to have to admit it, to Harry especially, because I know how much loss he suffered. But I knew that if I didn't say it that I would do it, and I just didn't. I just didn't want to be alive anymore. Extraordinary new evidence Richard III may not have killed princes in the tower. The disappearance of King Edward V, 12, and his younger half-brother Richard of Shrewsbury, Duke of York, 9, in 1483, is a case that has long fascinated historians. Upon Edward's accession to the throne on the death of his father, the boys were lodged in the Tower of London by their paternal uncle and all-powerful regent, Richard, the Duke of Gloucester, ahead of Edward's coronation. However, before Edward could be crowned, they were declared illegitimate, their uncle became Richard III and they were never seen again, presumed murdered. Kate Williams analyzes the young boys' murders in the Tower of London on Channel 5 this evening. The historian fronts the documentary series, Secrets of the Royal Palaces, which goes inside some of the country's most famous buildings. In the latest episode, Ms. Williams looks at the notorious deaths of the princes in the Tower. The episode also catches up with photographer John Swannell who discusses his 1994 photo shoot with Diana, Princess of Wales. The presumed deaths of the princes in the tower remain a mystery, but it has often been held that their uncle Richard III, who became king after they disappeared, had them murdered. Richard became Lord Protector of the youngsters after the death of their father, Edward IV, and put them in the Tower of London for their protection, never to be seen again. However, more than five centuries later, fresh evidence has shed new light on the mysterious case. In December, experts researching the princes made a breakthrough as they unearthed extraordinary evidence suggesting that Richard did not murder his nephews after all. The group is led by Philippa Langley, whose team famously discovered Richard III's remains under a Leicester car park in 2012. In the new investigation, the researchers found that a deal may have been struck, allowing Edward to secretly live on his half-brother's land under a fake name. They traced a trail of evidence to a Devon village church, where they found a carving of a man called John Evans, who they believe may be the young Edward V. John Dyke, the lead researcher of the four-year Missing Princes project spoke to the Daily Telegraph about their finds. He said, the idea of a missing prince lying low in Devon might appear fanciful at first. With all the secret symbols and clues, it sounds somewhat like the The Vinci Code. But the discoveries inside this church in the middle of nowhere are extraordinary. The evidence suggests that Edward was sent to live out his days on his half-brother's land as long as he kept quiet, as part of a deal reached between his mother and Richard III and later with Henry Tudor. Once you take all the clues together, it does appear that the story of the princes in the tower may need to be rewritten. The theory that Richard III had the boys murdered has been popularized throughout history, including by William Shakespeare. However, the researchers in the Missing Princes Project are far from the only experts to back theories absolving Richard III from guilt over the boys' disappearances. Historian and author Matthew Lewis, 
who wrote the book Richard III, Loyalty Binds Me, is among those to doubt that Richard murdered his nephews. In a 2020 article for History Extra, he explained how there is evidence to show that rumors of the prince's deaths emerged as part of a major uprising against Richard III in October 1483. He added, for me, therefore, the possibility of the prince's survival into the reign of Henry VII is very real indeed. Galileo Alternative sparks fury as Brexit Britain made a mistake by leaving EU project. Galileo is the EU's global navigation satellite system that offers services in global positioning down on Earth for cars, railways, aviation and other sectors. With the UK aiming to become a science superpower as Prime Minister Boris Johnson has promised, an important part of reaching that goal involves boosting the space sector. Shadow Science Minister Kion Wiora believes Britain's space sector took a blow when it left the EU's Global Navigation Satellite System, GNSS. Mizon Wiora told Express.co.uk, The UK made a mistake by not being part of Galileo because we were a big part of it. We had businesses and researchers who had a real stake in making Galileo work. I don't want to look back too much but looking forward we need a plan, and I don't see that. The space sector is a really important industry. There are big jobs, growth, satellite communications, spaceports the opportunities are there but we just see confusion. The UK has been trying to come up with alternatives to boost the space sector. Britain's OneWeb satellite network, while not a global positioning program like Galileo, has been tipped to one day rival the EU's project. OneWeb is a constellation of low-Earth orbit satellites which is partly owned by the government. It is a broadband constellation first and foremost, and will provide rural 4G, and one day 5G, internet signals across the nation. It is expected to deliver global coverage by June 2022 through a constellation of 648 LEO satellites. But Mizon Wiora did not seem to think that this makes up for leaving the Galileo project. She told Express.co.uk, We had all this confusion about we're going to set up our own Galileo and then we're not going to do it and then we bought one web instead. OneWeb is more about delivering broadband in hard-to-reach areas. It requires a major technological change to support global positioning, so it is not a replacement for Galileo. I'm not entirely sure the British space sector knows what it is for. But there may be other options on the table, too. Barman forced to repay money to bosses after it is stolen from cash register at gunpoint. A Las Vegas bartender has filed a lawsuit against his employers for allegedly being forced to pay back money that was robbed from the business at gunpoint. Edward Parker, 42, was finishing his shift at Lodge Hualapai on 4 December 2020 when a gunman entered the bar and pointed his weapon at him. Mr. Parker was forced to kneel on the ground with his hands on his head while the gunman took all the cash available at the counter, the lawsuit said. The intruder allegedly made off with nearly $4,000, 
around £3,000. Edward was terrified during the ordeal and feared for his life the lawsuit said. However, hours later, his employers told him it was his job to pay the money back. They offered him a repayment contract and forced him to work in unfavorable conditions, the lawsuit said. It added that Mr. Parker was worried about losing his job and therefore signed it. Over the next few months, an amount of $300 was reportedly deducted from each paycheck until it equaled the amount stolen by the gunman. The lawsuit also said that this harassment by his employers led him to major anxiety and panic attacks. However, he had no option but to continue working, he said in the lawsuit. His ordeal did not end with the repayment. He was later demoted to extra board status, which meant that he would be called in for work only when the bar required it, instead of having a regular job. For months, he did not get any work and now lives outside the state. Two people were arrested in connection with the robbery. The lawsuit stated that no evidence was found by the police of Mr. Parker's involvement in the incident. There is no evidence whatsoever that Edward knew these individuals or had anything to do with their actions the complaint said. This isn't the first time the lodge, which is made up of several restaurant locations across the Las Vegas Valley, has faced a lawsuit. In 2016, the company was sued by past employees who alleged that they were paid below the minimum wage. The council tax cashback lottery, the pensioner who needs help but gets nothing, and the company boss who'll give her £150 to charity. One is a well-insulated flat in Peckham, South London, that costs less than £400 to heat every year. It's in a prime location in an area popular with young professionals who work in the city. The other is a four-bedroom family home in the northern cathedral city of Durham whose owners will have to pay £2,400 every year to keep warm. Both are on the market valued at £450,000. However, only the flat in London qualifies for the Chancellor's £150 council tax rebate to ease the pain of the energy crisis, because it is a banned property. It means after government support payments, the annual bill could fall to just £26. Yet the owners of the Durham end of terrace property will not see a penny. This is because, despite their home costing far more to heat, it is a banned F property and so ineligible for the council tax rebate. Pensioner Chris Walls has an income of £1,300 a month. The three-bed detached house she paid £230,000 for 10 years ago is a banned E property so the retired teacher is not entitled to a £150 rebate as a result. Mother of two Chris, 75, of the Wire Forest, has been on Octopus Energy's standard variable tariff since April when her old supplier went bust. She pays around £60 a month to heat her home, but this could rise to more than £90 in April. She fears she will have to wear two jumpers to stay warm. Chris says, there are several properties in my area which are similar to mine but are in lower bands.
it feels like discrimination. It is just one of the injustices billpayers have highlighted in the government's multi-million pound support announced last week. Chancellor Rishi Sunak announced two new packages. The first is a £200 cut to every residential household's annual energy bill from October. Yet it is effectively an interest-free loan, as the money will have to be paid back over the following five years. This will add £40 to the cost of everyone's annual bill. The other support comes in the form of a £150 council tax rebate that will be paid to households in Banda to D properties only from April. The council tax bans were set in 1991 and are based on property valuations at that time. Banda are the cheapest homes worth less than £40,000 30 years ago while the highest band H properties were worth more than £320,000. The rebate support means a band D home now worth £800,000 in Westminster will get the £150 but not a £400,000 band E home in Wolverhampton, according to property tax reform campaign group Fairer Share. The group also points out that there are 23,750 homes worth an average of £830,000 in Band D in Hackney, East London. It is feared that asset-rich, cash-poor elderly retirees could be hardest hit, especially if they live in larger homes that cost more to heat. Analysis for Money Mail by Pensions Consultancy Lane Clark and Peacock, LCP has found that around 2 million pensioners live in bandy or higher properties. This includes around 460,000 widows and 58,000 single pensioners. Many retirees also rely solely on the state pension which is to increase by just 3.1% in April, despite inflation now predicted to rise above 7% this year. Former Pensions Minister Sir Steve Webb a partner at LCP, says, large numbers of pensioners who could be hard hit by soaring fuel bills will miss out on key elements of the Chancellor's package. The Chancellor needs to think again about the position of these vulnerable groups. Caroline Abrahams, director at Charity Age UK, says, hundreds of thousands of pensioners will be plunged into real financial difficulty as a result of fuel hikes and the only way this can be avoided is if the government thinks again and directs more funding support their way. The Resolution Foundation think tank also warned there are holes in the support scheme, with one in ten of the poorest households in England missing out. The Chancellor's £200 energy bill cut for every household will only come in the autumn and will have to be repaid over the following five years. It means an extra £40 will be added to every household bill from April 2023 for five years, even if the bill payer did not benefit from the £200 cut. For example, this could hit those in shared accommodation or those who now live with their parents who move on to their own property. Local authorities will be able to help households with discretionary hardship funds but it is feared many elderly and vulnerable people will be unaware they can make a claim. Dame Claire Moriarty, Chief Executive of Charity Citizens Advice, 
says the Chancellor's support package is strange, complicated and untargeted. She adds, linking financial assistance to council tax will result in a complicated lottery that means support is not targeted at people who really need it. The Department for Housing says any households that do not pay council tax will be contacted so they can arrange for the £150 to be paid. Company boss Sarah Merrick says she does not need the rebate, so has already donated £150 to a fuel charity. The mother of two, 43, and her partner Danny both earn salaries above the UK average. Their four-bed terrace home in Waltonstow, East London, is in band C for council tax and the couple pay £170 a month on Co-op Energy's standard variable tariff. Sarah Boss of a wind energy startup firm, was surprised when she found out her family would be eligible for a council tax rebate and has donated to the Fuel Bank Foundation which helps people struggling with bills. She says, means testing the rebate would have been far better way of targeting the families who really need it. I'd definitely encourage other people in a similar position to us to donate their rebate to charity. Scientist claims life after death is impossible. Science may have bestowed us with gifts of medicines, air travel and the internet, but it is also the bearer of bad news. One scientist thinks we should accept that there is no afterlife and move on with our lives on this earthly plane. Sean Carroll, a cosmologist and physics professor at the California Institute of Technology, said according to the Express. The laws of physics underlying everyday life are completely understood. Dr. Carroll explained that for there to be an afterlife, consciousness would need to be entirely separated from our physical body. But instead of an everlasting soul, consciousness appears to essentially composed of a series of atoms and electrons. Dr. Carroll added, claims that some form of consciousness persists after our bodies die and decay into their constituent atoms face one huge, insuperable obstacle. The laws of physics underlying everyday life are completely understood. And there's no way within those laws to allow for the information stored in our brains to persist after we die. It is not like scientists haven't tested for an afterlife either. Dr. Carroll points to the quantum field theory, QFT. Simply put, QFT dictates that there is one field in the universe for each type of particle, one for all the photons, another for electrons, and every other type of particle. If there was some sort of afterlife, quantum tests would reveal spirit particles and spirit forces. Spoiler, they have not. We hope that you have enjoyed our podcast. We thank you for your support. We hope to see you again next time.